for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin'. Let's begin. Listeners, I'm excited to have John Liss on the phone. I met John at the invitation of Clayton Collins of Housing Wire, and he brought a group of us together in Austin recently, a few weeks back. And when I met John and listened to what his thesis he wrote at Harvard, I'm going, I have got to have this guy on the podcast because it fits in with a very hot topic we're all focused in on. And it has to do with the probability of National Association of Realtors, NAR, losing this battle that they're going. And so I invited John to come in and share some things. Also, he's a part of an appraisal industry. He's got some tremendous growth in an area that is where a bunch of old guys like me have been dominating, and he's doing really well with the young group. So I'm really interested in hearing about his business as well. John Liss, good to have you join the podcast. Appreciate you being here. Awesome. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. You're bad. Also joining me is my co-host, Mark Helm. Good to have you here as always, Mark. Appreciate you joining in. Dave, it's great to be here. Appreciate it. John, I think it'd be good to help our audience get to know you a little bit, get to know your background and how it is you got to, into the business and into this business and this aspect of the business on the appraisal side. Give us a little bit of your background, please. For sure. So I've always been in the real estate industry. All of my jobs since high school have been in the real estate industry. I first started as a real estate agent. So I grew up in Westchester County outside of New York City. And I got my New York State residential real estate license when I was 18 as a salesperson. I immediately then interned for one of the top producing agents in the city. And then I ended up taking 15 months off between high school and college to work full time as a real estate agent, focused mainly in Manhattan. And that was the first experience I had into the real estate industry. And from there, I was hooked. I went to Harvard for undergrad. I wrote my thesis there, as you mentioned at the beginning, on the real estate brokerage space, particularly in Manhattan, focusing on steering and kind of the rampant practice of steering in the real estate industry. And then I worked in real estate, private equity and development after college, first in New York City and then in South Florida. And then I went back to business school, graduated in 2021 and started True Footage. And True Footage today is the largest appraisal company in the United States. We have hundreds of appraisers working exclusively on our platform for lenders throughout the country. And we're building software to make the appraisal process faster, more credible, and just an overall better experience for all the stakeholders involved. Yeah, I love the story. And I think we should get clarity on one thing because a lender here is steering, and that is slightly different than the steering. The general theme is the same, but it's steering that you studied. I'd like to have you give clarity to when you say steering within the real estate industry by the brokers. Explain that a little bit more detail, please. Yeah. So steering historically can be a lot of different things, but essentially as a practice, it's real estate agents pushing buyers towards a specific listing for a particular reason. Now, the ongoing conversation stems largely from commissions and right. brokers focusing on certain buyers based on the fact that they want them to go to a, a home that has the highest commission possible that pays out to the buyer. There's also historically conversations around steering based on ethnic or racial demographics, but for the purposes of the commission, 
question. That's what NAR is certainly being accused of right now. Yeah, it's really interesting when you start looking about the implications of this and the fact that you did that study and it turned up a tremendous, what, what do you say, gross evidence? What's the best word to describe the evidence that you turned up, Chuck? Certainly obvious evidence. So I was a sociology major. And so my thesis was about interviewing people to just understand in free form, not so different from the podcast like this, to understand yeah. what they're doing, ask questions about their practices, how they run their business, how they think about putting deals together. And there was a constant theme throughout those interviews, which was over 150 kind of top agents that commissions did play a role in how people would think about where they would put buyers. In New York City in particular, in the luxury market, you're talking about properties that start at two to three million and go all the way up to hundred million and commissions that can range from anywhere from 2% to 4% paid out to the buyer's agent. So on a $10 million property, for example, you're talking about a $200,000 difference in commission from a 2% to a 4% commission. So obviously that was attractive to a lot of different agents. And there was a lot of evidence through those interviews that it was happening all the time. Yeah. The fact that is evidence is there and someone like you writing a thesis on this, while you had some industry experience, it must've been eye-opening to you and gives credence to the number of lawsuits, class action lawsuits, and the DOJ getting involved on this issue. So I am very much concerned that we're going to see this go against the National Association of Realtors, not asking for a prediction, but based on what you've seen, do you have a sense of which way this is going to go? I don't want to speak to the case facts because I'm not a lawyer or an expert in that domain. I will say that having worked in the brokerage space for a long time and seeing how people behave based on what the commission is, there certainly appears to be a, a very good case. Again, I don't have the quantitative data to support that assertion yeah. based on the anecdotal evidence and kind of the interview process that I saw. I think there's definitely uh, a lot to the lawsuit. I will be watching to see what happens. I think that the brokerage industry in general is going to go through rapid transformation over the next five, 10 years. I think that the commission structures that currently permeate the entire industry are really relics of pre-internet time. Yes. And if we can free up some of those commissions that are collected by agents right now and pay them back into the system, whether that's through down payer assistance or other programs, you're going to see a lot more liquidity in the mortgage industry and a lot more transaction volume, which is obviously the hot button issue of right now. How do we solve this affordability problem so that loan officers can make more money, so that people can get into houses, so that people can really live the American dream? And I think dismantling some of the structure with the brokerage incentives is a key part in that process. Yeah. Again, that's not why we had you on the podcast today. We're actually going to get one of your, hopefully get one of your colleagues to join us on a more in-depth discussion on this, uh, on another separate podcast. I want to shift our focus over to the appraisal industry. And with that, I'll toss the mic to you, Mark. John, you're in the appraisal business and you've been very successful in growing a company that's doing a Great job in appraisals and growing the business. As you look at the appraisal business from the time you started now, what are some of the problems that you're dealing with in the appraisal issue? And since you're really managing some good software to help fix some of those problems, can you give some examples of things you're trying to fix that are bad in the industry through the use of your software? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of problems in the appraisal industry. And a lot of that was exposed during COVID when origination volumes were at an all-time high. You have a process that takes two to three weeks or seven weeks in some rural markets. You have a lack of supply of appraisers. You have uh, an aging population with no 
replenishment of new supply of appraisers because it's so hard to get certification. And then you have a process that seems very unclear and, and opaque. The appraisals aren't interpretable. When a consumer, a borrower sees their appraisal, they're confused. They're wondering which comps were selected. How were they selected? How did the appraiser come to these adjustments that they made and reconcile to the value that they did? And so we think that a lot of these issues with the appraisal industry, whether it's the supply of appraisers or the subjectivity of the appraisal report, can be cleaned up through technology. And so we are building both an army of appraisers. Our average age is 41. That, that on- is interesting in itself. Just the fact that the average age of appraiser, what is it out there now? Is it in the 60s? Is it that? That's correct. And you have hired everyone. Your average age of your company is in their 40s. That's encouraging. Yeah. I mean, look, it's a good profession. You can make a lot of money if you're good at it and you can do good work, you know, getting people into homes and doing good work for customers and banks. So that's the first piece is let's build 2000 new appraisers. Let's get young people from all over the country involved and reinvent the appraiser audience so that it can sustain through the next refi boom, whenever that comes. And then let's build software. Let's give these people tools to make them more effective, to make them faster, to make them more productive so that they can make more money, so that the banks get better service, so that the borrowers get so their deals aren't killed because of a a rate lock situation or uh, a low value because the appraiser didn't know that about a specific comp because the, the data wasn't available to him or her. Like, let's clean all of this up to make the process smoother. Yeah, I love the idea of what you're doing there. And I want to get into more about your company in just a minute, but kind of a follow-on question of what Mark asked. And that is when you look at the kind of software development, we're seeing more and more of artificial intelligence come in as a result of the announcement of chat GPT. What are you seeing and what are you building into your software offering that is attracting the younger appraiser crowd? And where do you see the technology going? Is artificial intelligence going to play an increased role? in this? Certainly. I think obviously artificial intelligence is going to play an increased role in virtually every profession over the next couple of decades. I think you have players like Zillow and Open Door that have tried this algorithmic home buying unsuccessfully and have lost hundreds of millions of dollars in the process because valuing property is very difficult. I think ultimately the artificial intelligence comes in two ways. Number one is making the process a lot faster and smoother and error-free. You have a huge problem in the appraisal industry around reports getting kicked back due to clerical errors or just other things of that nature that can be really cleaned up through an automated process. And then the second point is the artificial intelligence, I like to think of it as kind of bumpers, like at a bowling alley, where it's going to reduce the variability of performance of appraisals. And so that the artificial intelligence will get us part of the way there, but then you need the certified expert. I think of an appraiser as like a surgeon come in at the end, make sure that everything looks right. Check that the automations happen correctly, tweak things as needed, make sure that the correct comps are selected and then ultimately submit the report. And so I think a lot of industries are going to move in this direction where you have technology do a lot of the 80% and then you have the certified professional you know, what, depending on what industry that is in to come right. in and do the 20%. You mentioned this average age appraisals of being 41. How did that relate to their experience level? What's the average experience level as an appraiser you have in that staff of appraisers that's averages 41 years of age? So when I quote that number, it includes 70 apprentices. So one of the cool things that we're doing is actually training people ah. in the industry, which has been a big problem. 
Um, and so obviously an apprentice is in their first two years of appraisal. On the, appra the certified appraiser side, our average experience is about 15 years or more. So we have a lot of people that started in their 20s that are just got started in the early 2000s or right around the crash. And then we have people like any other appraisal group that have been doing this for 30 years or more. And one of the awesome things to see about our company is those people transferring knowledge to a younger generation to ensure that the next generation is, is prepared for all the different complexities that residential appraisal can bring along. Yeah. Well, the good news about you bringing people on and doing some training internally too, maybe you can train out the door some bad habits that other people have been pushing down through the cycle for decades. Cause I've seen a lot of that in my, so I salute you for that. Great news. Certainly. And I think technology also can help with that. We want the appraisal process to be objective. We don't want people putting their finger in the air and coming up with a value. We're trying to make sure that's not never happening again. That's good. Yeah. Especially when you look at the, some of the artificial intelligence and what that has yielded in results to the point that CFPB is looking and warning about artificial intelligence and things like that. So when you team artificial intelligence, which can be a great enhancer and accelerator to the process, but you put the human overlays on it, then I think you, you'd go a long ways at solving that, the, the bias that might, or it'll get the bias out should any show up through more of a, a statistical approach to it. So anyway, I'm very fascinated, but I want to learn more about your company. Tell us a little bit about your company and when did you start it? You're fairly new and to achieve the success you've had so quickly is pretty amazing. Yeah. So we launched it about two years ago in July of 2021. We're now in 39 states. We have over 250 W-2 employees who work exclusively as true footage appraisers. We do a majority of our business in direct engagements with lenders. So one of the tailwinds here is people moving away from appraisal management companies and their fulfillment channels and more towards direct engagement with appraisers to get better service. Um, and then we're building software to make appraisers more productive and efficient. And so we have a couple of tools in market, an adjustment technology, a market conditions technology, a data efficiency tool that helps appraisers put properties into the grid faster without errors and building software subscription tools that are available to appraisers. And so that's where we're at today. Where we're going is 2,500 appraisers and end-to-end -end software for appraisers so that they can get through reports quicker and get the lender better quality. And so that's a vision for the next couple of years. Good. I'm really interested, especially when it comes to the technology component, because we're seeing an explosion of that. Where do you see technology how are you employing technology is the better way to ask that question. Yeah. So when you think about the appraisal process, there's the order management software, and then there's actually the report, the software that you need to complete your report. So we have a proprietary order management system that helps us move reports amongst our appraisers in a way that is efficient. And historically, it was maybe the appraiser keeping an Excel sheet of their orders or just tracking things in email. And we've built a platform for our appraisers to work off of. And then the second piece is more in the report production process. So that's where it gets exciting and all the data science comes in, making sure that there's tools for the appraisers to look up what the comps are and if they're accurate. Uh, adjustment technology to make sure that the adjustments being made are accurate. An appraiser has a subject property of four bedrooms and they have a comp of three bedrooms. They got to figure out what the appropriate adjustment is there. We have market conditions technology called Spark. 
Um, so if an appraiser has to make a determination around, is this market stable? Is it accelerating? Is it decelerating? At what rate is that happening? We provide the appraiser with all the visualizations and graphs to make those decisions more quickly. And ultimately, as the new forms come out and we enter an era of appraisal modernization with Fannie and Freddie changing the appraisal form for the first time since 2005, we're yes. going to have end-to-end software that helps appraisers zoom through the reports at a high quality with all of the data available at their fingertips. That's impressive. Very good. Relative to the changes in the appraisal industry going on, I'm sure there's some good ones and there's some bad ones. And you mentioned one at the end of your last question there. So if you had to summarize for us a few of the good changes that are happening, some of the ones that concern you maybe that are happening in industry, I think it'd be helpful to our listeners. There's a bunch of good changes that are going to be coming into the appraisal industry. So I can go through those first. The first is the education requirement is being revisited. So getting more appraisers into the industry in a way that isn't so reliant on having a supervisor and getting several thousand hours, which has been a difficult barrier to entry historically. And so creating a program that still trains people as they should be trained, but creates more access into the industry is the first change. The second change is, um, again, this direct engagement model. So you have a lot of the top lenders around the country not using appraisal management companies, which is really good for the appraisal industry because it gets more money into the pocket of appraisers. And so appraisers are more loyal to those customers and they also produce faster work and they can get to higher quality work because they get used to exactly how that lender likes their appraisals and what their conditions might be and requirements. And then the last piece is around this UAD form redesign. So Fannie and Freddie are changing the forms. It's going to be really good for the mortgage industry in general. Hopefully it's going to reduce the frequency of repurchases and reduce the turn times that are seen in the appraisal process because the forms are going to be much more interpretable and easy to fill out. And then you see a lot of new products around property data reports and Maybe you don't need an appraisal in every situation and kind of this continuum of valuation products, depending on the LTV and the risk appetite of the lender. So those are some of the good things that are coming into the appraisal industry. What are some of the bad things that are you're cringing at coming? Yeah, I think with anything, we need to be sure that we establish quality parameters. And so there are some programs that maybe you don't need a license to do certain things. And that's a little bit scary just because we need to make sure that everyone is credentialed and has some sort of professional training into the industry to make sure that they don't miss anything. My concern is obviously the risk associated with that, but also the back and forth. We've seen some products get rolled out over the last year or two where it was very unclear kind of what the order of operations should be. And The AMCs didn't know, the appraisers didn't know, the lenders didn't know, the GSEs weren't clear sometimes, and that created more bottlenecks. And so then you saw those products not get adopted as much as they could. So I think some of the changes, when we think about how they happen, we need to make sure that A, the technology and the vendors are all ready for it to happen, but B, that there's a clear process for that to be rolled out. Every state has different rules and regulations. Every bank has different rules and regulations. Every non-bank has rules and regulations, and it creates chaos. And that's not, I'm sure that's not just appraisal. That's problems throughout the mortgage industry. But if everyone could just create a systematized process of, hey, here's how we want things, and here are the expectations, everything would move a lot smoother. Yeah, there's no question about that. When you look at 
the future. We've always touched on some of it, but I'd love to get to your predictions on for the appraisal industry, just generally speaking. Where do you see this industry going? I think that there's going to be fewer appraisers, but they're going to be more in demand. And what you're seeing in the appraisal industry, like every other, is the allocation methods are getting more sophisticated. 15 or 20 years ago, the bank would just assign whoever lived closest to the site. And now there's more scorecarding. So they actually have evidence of who's the fastest appraiser, who's the highest quality appraiser, who's going to cause the least amount of problems from a communication standpoint. And so the top appraisers are going to continue to eat more of the market. And those that don't adopt technology, those that don't provide good service are going to have a harder time finding volume. So I think that it's a really good opportunity for a smaller community of people to make a really good living and do really good work. But I think that's my biggest prediction. And then I think you're going to continue to see appraisal and different valuation products ordered depending on the situation versus just ordering a blanket appraisal in every single lending situation. So what about automated valuation models? Is that ever going to become a dominant force in this to the point where appraisers are not going to be needed, John, in your opinion? We're going to need the data to get a lot better to even get close to that. I think the problem with AVMs is a lot, but there's two main problems that I would um, point to. The first is a garbage in, garbage out problem. If you populate the AVM with poor quality data, whether that's data on the subject property or data on any of the comparables, you have a really bad outcome. And that's why you see the Zestimate, which is obviously the most commercially known AVM, really not perform well until the property is listed again uh, on that website. Then all of a sudden you see that AVM goes right to where the list price is. Um, but absent that information, it doesn't really know what the, the property type is. It doesn't have information on how renovated it is, what the accurate square footage is, because the MLS says one thing and county says the other, and the inspector says a third thing. So absent that quality of data, you're not going to have an accurate AVM. The second part about an AVM that is bad is the interpretability. And the estimate just spits out a value. Cool. What am I going to do with that? I don't understand anything behind that. And that's where the appraiser comes in. It really shows here are the comps that were selected that informed this valuation. Here's the information on the market area and how it's performing over time. Here's the adjustments and how we reconciled this. These are the neighborhood boundaries that should be used to select the comparables. And really showing that interpretability is, I, I think, key to any AVM. And there are some other AVMs that are used right now from SFR investors and things like that. But when you actually peel the onion and look at the, the, the math that is arriving to the final calculation, it's not very accurate. And until you fix that interpretability problem, you're not going to see widespread adoption of AVMs. I think AVMs may be in you know, low LTV situations or like in a HELOC, for example, that might be a place where you see that. Um, but as we get to more unaffordable real estate in America and down payments are 3%, 1%, you're not going to see AVMs get adopted in those situations. Yeah, that's really good. Obviously, yeah, John, I agree with that. I, when we saw AVMs come out and when David and I first saw them, they were they had high aspirations for them. The main place I've seen them use, you mentioned, is when third-party investors are looking at portfolios and all, and they use them as a validation model. And then a lot of us in the business thought there'd be a validation model for our day-to-day -day originations, and then they just started coming in way off base. They couldn't, they weren't even close enough. If we get something within 5%, it might work, but they were 20 and 30% off, which was making it terrible. So 
I agree from our perspective, which are a hundred percent with your evaluation. Yeah. yeah. It, you obviously know what you're talking about. You've been in this industry a relatively short period of time compared to many that are pros that are out there, but you've got a good grasp of it, John. And I think the, where you're taking the business is really exciting. And the part that's most exciting to me and Mark, or as old guys, is that you're drafting a new young crowd to come in. We are desperate. And so I applaud you for that. I applaud you for the automation, the innovation. So you are the new new that we need to start be paying attention to. How can people get a hold of you, John, and uh, get to know more about your company, True Footage? They can reach out to me on LinkedIn, J-O-H-N-L-I-S-S. You can send me an email, same thing, john.list at truefootage.tech. You can go on our website, truefootage.tech. We're ready to talk to anyone who wants to shake up the appraisal industry or needs appraisal services and help out how we can. That's good. Thanks so much for being here, Mark. Thanks for joining in on the discussion. Appreciate you being here. And John. Yeah, keep up the good work, John. Yeah. Thank you. Have, yeah. Really excited to hear what you're doing. It's very encouraging. We'll look forward to having you back. Keep us posted in developments. Please use our platform to give us updates on it because this is a critical part as we look at more and more automation that's rolling into our industry. Thanks, John. Have a great rest of your week and wish you all the best and look forward to having you back. Thank you. Hey, listeners, this hot topic would not be possible without our sponsors. I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, Total Expert, Finastra, Byte Software, Lender Homepage, Angel AI, the Mortgage Bankers Association of America, Lenders One, the Mortgage Collaborative, iEmergent, Modex, Mobility MMI, and Knowledge Group. There's so many good sponsors here, and we're so grateful for each one of them. Be sure to check out each of those sponsors and their spots on our website, Lickin' on Lending under the sponsorship page. Thank you. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin' of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.